So now we're going to shift to our scripture reading for today. Um, our scripture reading is from John 11, verses 17 through 37, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of God. So today, in light of, you know, our whole country mourning, what happened last weekend, uh, instead of continuing with Colossians, we have one more sermon in the series in the book of Colossians. I thought we'd take a break and, and speak from John 11. Um, you know, many of us spent this past week trying to make sense of the tragedy that struck our city last weekend. We're, some of us are in the at the retreat and we woke up to the news. Some of us were there. Uh, we know uh, people in our congregation that were there that night who saw things that they shouldn't have seen. Uh, we know a congregation member who lost a loved one. And I'm, I'm sure there are, there are more. Um, and, and if that's you, we want to make our pastors available, myself available, so please do let us know. Um, last night, some of us went uh, as, a, as a community to walk around Etown Station 1, praying in the back alley, uh, and, we, and to witness just the somber mood around the makeshift memorial that was set up in Exit 1. And as more details have come to light this past week, our hearts not only break, but there are, some of, there are many questions about how that evening, how events of that evening unfolded. And perhaps the words of Martha that we read in John 11, the words of Martha in our passage puts words into how many of, how many of us have felt this week. Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you were just here, Lord, how do we make sense of all that's happened? And in John 11, interestingly, we see Jesus that is in grief, that weeps. We see Jesus that becomes tremendously angry. And we see Jesus that have solution to the problem of death. And those are three things, three, outline, three points that I want to walk us through in John 11. If you have your Bibles just or apps, open up John 11 and we'll walk through it. First, Jesus' grief. When Jesus arrives, and, and, and Mary and Martha, who has lost their brother, Mary falls at Jesus' feet, weeping. Grief. Almost as a way of protesting. And the question in verse 32 that Mary has for Jesus is, Jesus, where were you? We asked of you so many days ago. Only if you had been here, 
maybe Nazareth would still be with us. And John tells us Jesus' initial response to Mary is not to give her a solution, is not to tell her, I'm the resurrection of life. The text tells us that Jesus begins to weep. Jesus simply wept with Mary. Which is surprising because Jesus knows how this story will come to an end. Jesus being God himself, knowing that he was intentional about coming late to this, to the house, knowing how this will unfold, how Nazareth will come out of the tomb, Jesus still chose to weep. If anyone had the power to bring Nazareth back to life, it is Jesus, yet that reality. Moments later, Jesus knows that everybody would rejoice. Yet for those how many minutes, Jesus weeps and consoles not only Mary, but Martha and the crowd. And what we see clearly is compassion of Jesus in our text. Even for that brief moment, Jesus grieves. Luke 19, another passage. As Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final time, as, he, as people are gathering to celebrate Passover, and Jesus knows this is his final mission, the cross, as he drew near to that city, Luke tells us, even as people were cheering him on and welcoming him, Luke tells us that he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Again, same situation. Jesus knows he has a solution to their brokenness. He has a solution to their pain and suffering. Yet, the text tells us he still grieved. He still wept over the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because he had deep compassion. I don't know about you, but grief is not an easy emotion for me. I've known this. Maybe it's my upbringing. Maybe the way my family operated. I don't do well with grief. And maybe some of us, uh, you're like me. And even this week, personally, honestly, I find myself wanting to move on quickly or bypass the grief to anger. Like I felt angry. Like anger is easier for me to handle than grief. Wanting to look for solutions, wanting to go protest. Yet what the text reminds us is that Jesus, grief is important to Jesus. Grieving and mourning with those that are mourning is actually really important. The one who knew all things, the one who had all power, all authority, all wisdom, he wept in Luke 19, he weeps in John 11, the Matthew passage. So friends, it's clear that grief is not a sign of weakness. It is not a sign of faithlessness. And it's clear, Scripture is very clear, that it is actually something that Jesus continued to do as he met people, as he saw people, as he saw brokenness. And yes, the scripture is clear. In the end, evil will not prevail. Death will not win. God will bring something beautiful out of this terrible tragedy. Yes, we believe those things as Christians. And even though those things are all true, we are still called to weep and mourn with those who are mourning. So last night, some of us, Pastor John, Pastor Mike, some of us and some of the members of our church, we were in 
Itaewon Station Exit 1, and there was a makeshift memorial. And people were just, were just individually, silently praying, reading the stories, reading the letters, our pictures of victims. Out of the corner of my eyes, I see this lady, uh, an older Korean lady, and she begins to pray out loud. And I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, she begins to pray out loud. And, and she basically was like, I denounce all demonic spirits. So initially, people are like, okay, you know, there's, there's a bunch of stuff going on. There, is, uh, there are monks. I think there was another gentleman. I didn't know what he was. But, you know, they were doing their own rituals. So this lady out of nowhere, out loud, begins to, you know, pray against demonic spirit. Not just once, right? She kept doing it. And eventually, it really angered those who were mourning their loss. Like, there were people that lost their loved ones there, mourning and, 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 and just in silence. And this lady shows up, begins to denounce demonic spirits in Jesus' name. And eventually, it, it angered so many people that police had to, like, get involved and talk to her. Like, hey, this is, this is not... You have freedom. And I'm not quite sure for her motivation. I'm not here to judge her motivation. Perhaps she felt this was the most loving thing to do. In fact, when people confronted her, she said, I love these people more than you. Yet in the end, the problem was people didn't feel loved. People didn't feel compassion from that prayer. Friends, telling people that they should turn to God and and believe and turn to God without compassion, without tears, without weeping is not Jesus. Let me repeat myself. Friends, telling people they should believe and turn to God in times like this, without compassion, without grieving, without coming along in the ministry of presence is not Jesus. So, so I want to encourage you, if you have not gone out, and maybe you've had a busy week, maybe you have other issues and other challenges that are facing you, because we have, you know, we have different challenges that face us every week. But I want to encourage you, if you feel disconnected from what happened in Itaewon, I want to encourage you to go out to Itaewon Station, to go out to different memorial sites. Just You can go there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. To, to be able to connect, to be able to... And, and, and you just go there and stand, and, and I'm telling you, you'll, you'll feel people's pain. Nobody's saying anything. It's silent. Yet you can sense the whole city grieving. So I want to encourage our community, let's not move on too quickly. Let's not move quickly to the solutions either. I mean, solutions are great. We need solutions. We all need to do better to make changes so that tragedies like this won't happen in our city. Yet right now, more than anything, as a church... We need to show compassion. And we need to weep with those who are weeping. Amen? Second, we see Jesus' rage. So Jesus moves from weeping to becoming intensely angry. Verse 33, John tells us, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. That word troubled in Greek literally means to be shaken with such rage, to roar like a lion in anger. That's the type of anger that Jesus was expressing. In the last several days, people's grief has given way to anger and fear, mostly anger. People are angry at the way the city has handled the situation, which is totally understandable. 
We're angry at government officials' response, at least initial response to the tragedy. We are angry at businesses and construction companies that may have illegally extended their building to even narrow, to make that street even narrower than it is. And it ought to make us angry. It is only natural for us to be angry when we see these things, when we realize these things. It ought to challenge us to be better as people, as society, as a city. We need to, again, do everything we can to make changes so that what happened last week won't happen again. Yet here's one thing that Jesus does not do. He doesn't demonize people. Uh, you know, I've been watching the news and I've been, I've been following, you know, both international and Korean community. I've noticed people online ha- are much more, much less sympathetic towards the victims. If you notice, like, I mean, we have intense online culture and people, trolls and comments. And I realize people online are le- much less sympathetic towards victims. Um, maybe it's just much easier to hide behind their screens and, and you know, criticize and many, not, not society as large, I think society is doing a good job of mourning, but many online have labeled that crowd that night, seven days ago in Itaewon, as young people that were just there to drink and party. And somehow they're less sympathetic. And they're appalled that the government is willing to pay for the funeral and all the cost. I've heard Christians, friends of mine, talk about God's judgment towards people who are there to celebrate a pagan holiday. I had to get off the phone. I was like, okay, I can't talk to you right now. I literally was like, I can't talk to you right now. Yet in our passage, Jesus doesn't put the blame on people. He doesn't blame the victim. He doesn't say because it's because Nazareth sinned. He made mistakes that he's being judged for his failures. He doesn't blame Mary and Martha. You see, most religions assume one's success or failure, one's faith is directly tied to their morality. That's religion 101. Good things happen to good people, bad things to happen to bad people. If you do bad things, karma. Yet the stories in the scripture, if we, if we read through the books and stories in the scripture, it tells us that's not always the case. We see throughout the scripture, good things happen to bad people and terrible things happen to even people that fear God. Job's story. Stories of other men and women in the Bible. Case in point, John 9, two chapters before John 11, as Jesus and his disciples were passing by this man who who could not see, he was blind. So his disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, whose sin? Is it this man's sin? Or is it the sin of his parents? that caused him to be born blind. And it's almost like Jesus rebukes him and says, no, it has nothing to do with sin. There's always temptation. Friends, there's always temptation to demonize people, demonize the crowd. Yet, not in John 9, not in John 11, Jesus refuses to give in to that narrative. He refused to demonize those who were there. He refused to demonize the, the town of Itaewon. Itaewon is a low-hanging fruit. Instead, Jesus' anger, his roaring lion anger, 
is placed onto death itself. He looked at, looks at the tomb and he begins to get really, really upset. He, he looks at death. He looks at Mary and Martha and the crowd who are distraught. And he says, I have solution to your death. And he says these words, that death will not have final say. I have come to defeat death itself. I have come to defeat death. I have come to undo death. That's the essence of Jesus' kingdom, isn't it? Out of death comes life. Out of hopelessness, we find hope. Hope that will not fail us. Out of sorrow, we find songs of victory. Songs that have, we have sung as a community. Out of grief comes glory. Unfading glory. So yes, we must expect more from our government. We must, we must expect more from our leaders, more from our cities or city. We must pray for them to become better, more equipped, take responsibility. Yet we do not demonize them. We channel our anger at death itself. And that's hard to be sympathetic, to mourn with those that are mourning and to remain angry at death itself. That's really hard to, to balance. And we cannot do that unless we cling on to the words of Jesus in verse 25. And these are the words. This is the main sort of truth that we need to walk away with. That Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus arrives. Jesus weeps. Jesus becomes angry at death. And now he moves to claim that death will not have final say. You see, Jesus does not only offer consolation, that's what we can do, but he offers something far greater, far more satisfying. He offers something we cannot offer other people, which is solution to death. And these seven words in verse 25 changes everything. Friends, these seven words, in verse 25, it changes everything for us. Ego emi ho anastasis kai ho zoe. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He looks at Martha and Mary who are filled with sorrow and pain and grief and tells them, I can undo death. You know why? Because not I only give you life, I am life. Notice Jesus' promise here in verse 25, is not simply someday I'm going to take you away from all this pain and trouble and take you to a place without trouble, without pain, which is reality, which is promise. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in this passage, in this story, because Nazareth comes alive. Because Martha thinks that's what Jesus is talking about. Verse 24, Martha says, yeah, yeah, I know God, in one day, that day, the last day, my brother's going to come to life. I know Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 Martha, you don't understand. I'm not talking about one day. You don't, you don't have to wait, Martha, until the last day. I could undo death here and now. Friends, the resurrection Jesus speaks of in our passage is that about Jesus coming to take us to a place without pain and difficulty and hardship, even though that is promised in other parts of Scripture? 
It is Jesus' promise to bring the power of heaven down to earth, to make new heaven, new earth, and transform everything so that in the end, it will infinitely be better, even better than our greatest desires. Pastor Tim Keller preached from John 11, after 9-11, that Sunday, after 9-11, 20 years ago. And he says this about Jesus' claim of resurrection in verse 25. I think it's really helpful. And I quote, this is Tim Keller talking about the resurrection that Jesus talks about in this passage. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, he's not saying he will give us a nicer place. He's going to make everything terrible that happened a bad dream. He's not saying that. He's not just giving his consolation. He's going to make it untrue. He's going to make it untrue. He's going to incorporate even the worst things that have ever happened to you, including Itaewon, including the traumas and challenges we've experienced in life. And they'll be taken up into the glory that is to come in such a way they make the glory better and greater for having once been broken. He's going to incorporate even the worst things that have ever happened to you, happened to our city, They'll be taken up into the glory that is to come in such a way they make the glory better and greater for having once been broken. Friends, that's what Jesus precisely means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Friends, do you, do you and I, do we really believe even this horrific tragedy that has struck our city will one day become untrue. Not just a bad dream, but one day it's going to become untrue. That's hard to believe. That that's, blows my mind. How, what does it mean to become untrue? But it only makes sense because for all of us, you know, when I, was, I went on Wednesday by myself, I went yesterday reading these notes, heartbreaking notes. People are writing notes to strangers, people are writing notes to their loved ones, and, and, uh, and, and many of them have just, they're grieving, and, and they have these notes, and, uh, and, 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 and many of them have the same sentiment. In the future, when, when you go to the other side, I hope you're happy, I hope you could fulfill your, your dream. But the problem with those notes is that they are wishful thinking. Right? Their genuine desire that people have for people that have lost their lives in Itaewon. But there is no, they're, they're not standing on solid ground because they don't know. Yet we do. Because we look to the cross. When we look to the cross and when we look at Jesus' promise, we know that is true and amen. Right? John, John tells us right in our text that Jesus, after he raised Nazareth from the dead, from that day on, the religious leaders plotted to take Jesus' life. Jesus fully knew, entering Mary's house, Martha's house, Jesus fully knew that this will be the final straw. He knew when he raised Nazareth back to life in front of that crowd, that was going to be his death sentence. He knew once he called Nazareth from death, people would call for his life, yet fully knowing the consequences, fully knowing what's about to take place, Jesus chose to give away his life in exchange for the dead man. And friends, he didn't just do that for Nazareth. He did that for you and I. 
This is what makes Christianity unique. No religion speaks of God who enters human suffering. A God who volunteered himself to even more horrific death than what people experienced last weekend. When tragedies, whenever tragedies like this strikes, one of the age-old questions that we hear in the church, outside of church, if God is good, why does he allow suffering? Why? If God is good, why Itaewon? And I wish I could articulately, beautifully, theologically give a satisfying answer, and I, I just know I can't. That's a tough question. I think about it a lot whenever difficult and hard things happen. And truthfully, I don't know why God has not, Jesus has not come already and end suffering for, for mankind. The, the world, I mean, it's not just Ethan. The world is filled with pain and suffering and tragedies. The war is still going on in Ukraine. I mean, we've forgotten that very quickly, but war is still going on in Ukraine. People are still dying. What happened in Itaewon is a micro picture of suffering that's all around us. That's hard. Yet what gives me comfort, what allows me to do what I do and, and, and move forward is that we have God who entered suffering, which is very unique. The one who had no sin became sin, took on our shame, our death, onto himself. So God who experienced even more tragic death must have a good reason. I don't know. You might not know. The fact that we have a Savior who entered suffering, who suffered so much more than we could ever suffer, might tell us that he might have a good reason. So until that glorious day of making all tragedies untrue, he has called you and I to be his hands, his feet, his ears, his eyes. It's going to be weeks or months or maybe a year or maybe longer for our city to feel normal. Maybe people will move on. But I love what Pastor Joel shared, right? Pastor Joel, we woke up last week at the retreat to this news and um, he, he encouraged us. And I, I almost felt like last Sunday was prepared. God knew, prepared um, this encouragement saying, friends, this is the moment. This is the moment where we need to be the church. Moments like this when people are reeling and hurting and broken and lost. This is what God has called us to be on a mission to listen, to sit with those who are hurting, to pray for the families and the victims, to come along and, and, and fight for, for change in the system so that we would become a better city. Any, all the ways, that's what we've been called to do. So I want to remind you, that was the message, how we wrapped up our retreat. I want to remind you once again, this is the moment. Let's not get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted with the project at work or Netflix's new show or we just move our birthday party. We just move on. No, I, I say we sit here for a little bit and we, we take this opportunity to really love, to really show compassion and intentionally do it because if you don't, time's going to pass and we're not going to think about it. Let me, let me pray for us. Um, 
Jesus, we, um, we confess it is a huge challenge for us to be able to process what happened uh, last weekend in a way that is, that is true and that is, that is good. Um, and Lord, all of us have different thoughts and experiences, ideas about what happened that weekend. And Lord, we could, we could sit and, and dwell on it you know, again and again and read all the articles and watch all the clips on YouTube and overwhelm ourselves with information. But Lord, I pray you would soften our hearts. Soften our hearts to come along people that are hurting in our community, people that are hurting in the city, soften our hearts to, to slow down, soften our hearts to, to love people in the midst of so much anger and fear, strength and confidence to pray for a reformation, renewal. And Lord, to hold on to the ultimate truth that you're the resurrection and the life. You are the life. So we go to the source of life to renew us, realign us. Thank you, Jesus, for your comfort. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion. Jesus, we pray. Amen.